Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And from WBEZ in Chicago, this is Nerdette. Today, it's all about booze. We talked to pop science author Amy Stewart about the glorious human tradition of turning plants into alcohol. When people come along and look at that plant and realize that they can spawn a billion-dollar industry with it, well, that gets pretty interesting. She also tells us which liquor cabinet contents we're using totally wrong. Then we meet some cider nerds and a winery Sherpa who gives us the most delicious homework ever. We also celebrate opera singer and civil rights icon Marian Anderson. That and your nerd confessions on Nerdette. Because everybody's a little nerdy about something. Make it snappy, nerd! Nerds! Nerd! I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And you're listening to Nerdette. I'd put Amy Stewart in the camp of other excellent nerds we've heard on the show, like Mary Roach, authors who have the ability to make science and history super fun. Amy Stewart wrote the books Wicked Bugs, The Louse That Conquered Napoleon's Army and Other Diabolical Insects. She also wrote Wicked Plants, The Weed That Killed Lincoln's Mother and Other Botanical Atrocities. Such good subtitles. The best. Also, they're very SEO friendly, but that's another conversation. (laughs) Amy Stewart's latest book, The Drunken Botanist, is the ultimate guide for anyone who nerds out about history, plants, or booze. What I really wanted to do was do something that no one else had done, which is to go plant by plant and really trace back where all these things came from and specifically how they're made. And it was a really fun project. You know, I actually got to experiment with some of the plants myself and go meet some of them in the wild and, and travel around to distilleries and see them going into the still. So it was a it was an interesting way to go about it. Yeah, I bet it was really neat. I mean, essentially, you got to drink for research also, right? I yeah, yeah. My um, liquor collection got kind of out of hand once I realized it was a tax write-off. <laughs> I feel like this book is perfect for me because I'm not good at mixing drinks in general. If someone gave me a bottle of gin, I would be like, thank you, but what am I supposed to do with this? And that yeah. was sort of like the story of why you decided to write this book in the first place, right? What I realized is that almost everything in every bottle at the liquor store or behind the bar, it comes from plants. I mean, it's nothing but plants in the bottle. In other words, there's not other stuff in there. So... A bottle of brandy is nothing but grapes or apples. And gin is nothing but the grains and the juniper and the, you know, whatever, the citrus, the coriander. Like, there's nothing but those plants. That's all that it is. I think people don't often think about that. Like, they don't really consider the fact that what we have done is just sort of put them in bottles, and that's what we've done with them. I have a rule that there are certain things in my life that I'm not going to Google. I'm not going to Google them because I want to meet a human person who knows the answer to this. And I bet you can answer this question for me. What is vermouth? Like, what is it? I know it's been in drinks I've had, but what is vermouth? Vermouth is actually one of my favorite things to drink. That's what it is. But what vermouth is, is wine, usually white wine, that has had herbs and spices and fruit added to it to change the flavor. 
and a little tiny bit of alcohol is also added to bring it up to about 17% alcohol, so it's a tiny bit boozier than wine normally is. But it's really nothing but kind of naturally flavored wine. And it's something that people have been doing since at least Greek and Roman times. Winemaking was not nearly as advanced as it is now. Like, you never want to feel nostalgic for the golden era of Roman wines. (laughs) They were probably kind of rough. So they would add plants to just improve the flavor. But then also as medicine, you know, before we had modern pharmacies, before we started taking pills, the only medicine that was available to anybody was a plant, just dried up plant matter. And it turns out that one of the better ways to kind of stabilize and preserve plants as medicine is to drop them in alcohol because the alcohol is like a solvent and it extracts the chemicals in the plant that we hope are medicine. The plant that has always been added to vermouth is Artemisia absinthum, which is also called wormwood. And imagine how wormwood sounds in German. You can kind of get close to the word vermouth, right? They both come from worm. And the idea was that wormwood actually treated intestinal worms. Oh, wow. Which it does not. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> Incorrect, like old, but interesting idea. <laughs> inter- yeah, nice try, you know. <laughs> I mean, of course, you needed to do something, but that was not it. So anyway, vermouth's been around forever. Good vermouth is a delightful drink, and I really encourage people to get into vermouth and other aromatized and fortified wines. The trick is that you have to buy fairly good vermouth, and you have to treat it like wine. You can't just open it and then leave it open sitting Mm. in a liquor cabinet unrefrigerated for six months or six years and expect it to still be good. It's wine, so it has to stay in the fridge. you got to really stopper it up and get through it, like really work your way through it in a month or so. You know, it doesn't last forever. I think we're changing people's lives right now because I bet a lot of people's first interaction with vermouth was as a really pungent flavor in a mixed drink because it was bad vermouth that had been sitting in their parents' liquor cabinet for 10 years, unstoppered, un... (laughs) Like that dusty old, it's been open forever. That stopped being a cocktail ingredient a very long time ago. (laughs) In all the research you did, what was the strangest liquor that you came across? Really, around the world, people have made liquor out of everything that has a little bit of fermentable sugar or starch in it. One of my favorites is a monkey puzzle tree which is a very weird-looking conifer that dates back to the era of dinosaurs. Like, it's an ancient, ancient plant that's been on this planet for a really long time. And it produces these big cones that are kind of like pine cones. And there are little nuts inside those cones, or little seeds, which are very much like pine nuts. And so in the Andean mountain range, there are tribes who have traditionally made a drink called chicha out of these monkey puzzle nuts. And what they do is they chew them and their saliva has enough enzymes that can kind of get that fermentation process started and start breaking those starches into sugar. So they chew it and then they spit it into this communal vat. And all of these half-chewed monkey puzzle nuts get spat into a shared vessel that continues to ferment. I mean, like, how desperate do you need to be for a drink? That, <laughs> this is what you come up with, right? It's amazing. It's it takes teamwork. I know. 
There's teamwork and spitting involved. I love it. We actually have monkey puzzle trees growing around here where I live. So I walk past them and I look up at them and I'm like, huh. But, you know, it's just never going to happen. I mean, I am not going to get a group of people together for that project. I mean, you know, I don't rule it out. Don't rule it out. <laughs> How do you describe your work to people? Are you a snarky naturalist? How's that sound? <laughs> What I'm really interested in are the people. Like, I think that all of my books are less about plants and more about people and what happens when we come into contact with them. A plant growing all by itself in a jungle is really just kind of sitting there being green. But when people come along and look at that plant and realize that they can make medicine out of it or that they can kill a person with it or that they can start a war with it or spawn a billion-dollar industry with it, well, that gets pretty interesting. So in some ways, I'm really always kind of looking for the human story. With wicked plants and wicked bugs, I wasn't so interested in whether it could kill someone, but like who had it killed? That was (laughs) always the criteria for getting into the book. Like I need to know the person or the group of people who definitely were impacted by this creature. Amy, tell us about the novel that's uh, that's coming out. Oh, well, so the novel is based on a true story. It's called Girl Waits with Gun coming out in September. It'll actually be the first in a series about these three women whose story I uncovered more or less by accident. It started with one newspaper article, and from there I just kept going, like, what else is the deal with these women? Until I had pretty much put their complete life story together and had totally fallen in love with them and felt like they deserved not just one book, but perhaps several. So it takes place in 1914 in Hackensack, New Jersey. This woman, Constance Cop, was out for a buggy ride with her two sisters, and a guy ran into them with his car and smashed their buggy and destroyed it. And they got into a conflict over the damages, and it escalated until this guy was firing shots at their house and sending kidnapping threats, actually tried to set their house on fire. Whoa. This crazy conflict. And Constance, who was like 35 years old at the time, she actually got a revolver and helped the sheriff go after this guy. Like, Whoa. he was a total badass. And he was so impressed with what she did that he ended up offering her a job, and she became one of the first female deputy sheriffs in the country. That's fantastic. Yes. I mean, it didn't stop there. Like, it just kept going. And no one's ever heard of them. Like, there is no Wikipedia page for these women. There's no book that's been written about them. Like, there's nothing. I'm going through courthouse records, and I've done their genealogy on ancestry. Like, I've put together census records to figure out where they were living. And I've got hundreds of newspaper clippings, but mostly just out of microfilm. Like, they're not even online. You know, I'm just in the basement of the library going through (laughs) the microfilm. It's been amazing. It's kind of taken over my life. It's been great. Sounds like such a fun rabbit hole to go down in terms of your research and a really fun story for the rest of us to get to read. Right. I hope so. Yeah. I'm totally in love with these women. They're amazing. Amy, thank you so much for talking with us on Nerdette. Thank you. Amy Stewart is the author of many delightful books about the natural world. Go read The Drunken Botanist now and be sure to keep an eye out for her novel Girl Waits with Gun coming out later this year. Still to come this week, cider nerds, winery sherpas, nerd confessions. And we get to know a great lady nerd of history who Martin Luther King Jr. credited as an inspiration. This is Nerdette. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.
You're listening to Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I'm Greta Johnson. We recently found ourselves surrounded by hundreds of booze nerds tasting hard ciders at the Cider Summit here in Chicago. It was in this massive room. It reminded us of prom, except without the gowns and with a lot more booze. Which means it was much more fun than prom was, right? (laughs) You all know that we like to use nerd as a verb. It's not about what you love. It's about how much you love it. And I think it's fair to say that no one loves cider more than our next guests. Eric West is the host of the Cider Guide podcast and the director of the Great Lakes International Cider and Perry Competition. But first we hear from Brian Albrick of Left Foot Charlie. He makes a mean hard cider at his place in Traverse City, Michigan, and calls himself a winery Sherpa. My role is the guy who packs the load up on the horses and yeah. points the direction. And I'm going to take my team, and if they're crazy enough, they'll follow me, and then we end up somewhere that we didn't really expect. So it's kind of the role of the Sherpa out in the mountains, you know, and with great respect for them, that's kind of how I like to see how we do things at Left Foot. So you almost got a PhD in political science, but somehow <laughs> ended up staying in the wine cellar. What would your life be like if you were a PhD in political science instead of doing what you do now? There'd probably be a lot of disappointed students. <laughs> so tell us more about the winery. What's the Left Foot Charlie origin story? I collected a group of farmers that I had a lot of respect for and how they work. And we decided to make single vineyard or small vineyard blends. Um, and then with apples as well. And so, of course, you got to name the winery, and the thing that we <laughs> wanted to do is feel very important and smart, and so we came up with this Greek word for timing, and I went to register this brilliant name that I had come up with, and uh, a gentleman in Napa had registered it like the week prior to me, so oh. I do not deserve timing as a moniker. <laughs> so my wife and I had some wine that night, and uh, Left Foot Charlie's an old nickname I had because I was a clumsy kid, and I used to trip over my left foot, and... We thought, you know, that sums us up pretty good. We're going to stumble a little bit. Or it is just us fermenting juice. So as lofty as we want to be about it, it's a very real, normal part of everyday life. And so we should just be ourselves. And that's where that came from. But so then we moved into an old asylum, um, which was after the name, but perfect. <laughs> we think about it. It's a, a beautiful campus up in Traverse City that function as the Northern Michigan Asylum for 100 years. They cut funding for it in the late 80s. And the community rose up to save this property. It was going to be bulldozed and turned into a medical campus development or a box store or something. And the community said, no, save these buildings. And part of the plan was to have multi-use and a winery fit perfectly into this. So we occupy the laundry facility of a beautiful 100-year-old asylum campus. Ryan, do you remember when you first fell in love with cider? Yes, I do. Uh, and I actually saw today some great friends of mine who got to live in Cambridge for a few months. And we would go out to the pubs and play darts. And there was this wonderful drink called cider that we were drinking a lot of. And it was one of the very first realizations that you could drink something and not only get a cool buzz off of it, but it would take your mind somewhere else, not because of the alcohol, but because of the flavors mm. and remembering what other things that had gone on in your life. And So, yeah, it was the first connection to alcohol as an intriguing experience. As an asylum. Exactly, an asylum, (laughs) Brian Albrecht of Left Foot Charlie, thanks for talking with Nerdette here at Cider Summit at Navy Pier in Chicago. Can you stick around while we bring up our next guest? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Eric West is the host of the Cider Guide podcast. He's also director of the Great Lakes International Cider and Perry Competition. Eric, maybe you can start by telling us what's the absolute simplest hard cider recipe possible. So 
you start with apples, you want a glass of hard cider. You harvest the apples when they're ripe. You mill them, so you grind them up, press them into juice, throw it into a carboy and put an airlock on it. You don't even have to add yeast or sugar or anything else. And if your temperatures are right, you know, two, three, four months later, you have a very dry, rustic hard cider. Where does cider fit into the world of craft beer, local food? Mead is the new cider, which was the new craft beer, but all of these things are harmonious in a way as well. So where does it fit into this world? I don't think you necessarily have to be exclusively a cider drinker or exclusively a beer drinker. I think people can experiment. They like beer, wine, mead, cider. You know, I think there's room to have all that stuff. But I've been here at the Cider Conference in Chicago. It's an industry, kind of a trade association type thing. And a lot of people are trying to like take cider and push it more towards a beer path where you have like a 12 ounce six pack type model. And then there's other people who are having a sort of wine type approach. So you might have a 750 milliliter bottle. So I wouldn't say that necessarily cider has an identity crisis, but it's just that consumers don't necessarily know how to treat it. Eric, I think it's fair to say that you are the nerd ambassador for cider. Yes, I'll, I'll take that mantle, right? Which, sure. You know, essentially yeah. that means if someone came up to you and said, I know zero things about cider, you're not going to berate them. You're going to help guide them to something they would like. What do you start people on if they're maybe a little hesitant or skeptical about cider? Well, I guess I just have to figure out where they are coming from because they might have a beer background. They might have a wine background. They might have had a cider from the supermarket that was just far too sickly sweet for them. And so it's just kind of a 20 questions kind of thing. It's sort of a really fun challenge for me because I kind of see myself as sort of a cider educator, I suppose. There's a cider out there for everybody. People just don't know how to find it. That's yet, the process but. I go through when I recommend books to people. It's the same like, so fiction or non, and then we just kind of go from there down the path. Brian, what about you? What are your gateway ciders for folks who are wine drinkers or craft beer drinkers but haven't gotten into the world of cider yet? Actually, Perry, I think, is a really good avenue to start in. It's a very familiar, distinct aroma and flavor that can trigger so many memories right away. Otherwise, look for straight, simple cider, not having to try to exaggerate with other flavors necessarily, but an apple cider from wherever region you're at. Apple is so familiar to all of us that... It's a very quick understanding when you taste it. Thanks to Brian Albrick of Left Foot Charlie and Eric West of Cider Guide Podcast for joining us on Nerdette. Cheers. Cheers. We recorded that conversation live at Cider Summit in Chicago. There's no official set of credentials that qualifies someone as a great lady nerd of history in our minds, but this fact would be pretty impressive on any resume. I should call you Dr. Anderson. Do you know that Marion Anderson has 20 honorary doctorates? Amazing. 20 honorary doctorates. 20 honorary doctorates. That clip is from when the famous African-American opera singer appeared on the game show What's My Line in the 1950s. Marion Anderson was born in February of 1897. We asked Gino Francesconi to tell us a little more about her. He runs the archives at Carnegie Hall in New York City. He knew Marion, her talent, and her spirit. She was probably one of the most gracious people I'd ever met backstage. She was regal, yet approachable. She had an extraordinary voice and an extraordinary talent. I think Toscanini said it was a voice that comes once every 100 years. 
and I'm sorry I didn't know her at the peak of her career because to me she was really one of the first civil rights leaders in her own dignified way. He says Marian Anderson enjoyed fame that meant she traveled the world singing for European kings in massive crowds, but she also endured a complicated relationship with fame in a segregated America. In some parts of the United States, she couldn't eat in the restaurants. She couldn't go outside after a certain period of time. So she'd stay in her room and make dresses or curtains for the farm in Connecticut that she had. And so just the strangeness of that, to maybe sing for the governor of a particular state and then to be segregated into your hotel room because there was no place for you to eat. Marian Anderson's most famous performance may be when she sang My Country Tis of Thee on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. It was 1939, Easter Sunday. Her manager is trying to get her into Constitution Hall in Washington and discovers that every date he wants is taken and then discovers that the dates were actually free but it's because of her color. They're not allowed there. And uh, Constitution Hall was owned by the Daughters of the American Revolution. Eleanor Roosevelt was a member. In righteous indignation, First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt resigned from the Daughters of the American Revolution. Then Roosevelt helped Anderson find a new venue, a bigger venue. They did a little bit of quick figuring out, and they put her in front of the Lincoln Memorial Easter Sunday morning was broadcast to millions of people across the United States. electrifying moment. First time the Lincoln Memorial was used for something like that. Millions listened on the radio to that live performance on Easter Sunday in 1939. It left a significant mark in the mind of one 10-year-old listening. His name? Martin Luther King Jr. 24 years later, King stepped in front of a microphone at the March on Washington and said this. We will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. Listening to King in the crowd that day in Washington? This will be the day. Marian Anderson. This will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside. Learn more about Marian Anderson at nerdoutpodcast.com. We've got links to videos of her singing, her autobiography, and more. Now it's time for homework. We have one all-ages assignment. We want you to read The Drunken Botanist. But the rest of your homework this week is 21 and up. 
Here's author Amy Stewart's boozy assignment for you. If you go to a really good wine shop or a really good liquor store and ask, you'll find out that there are all these wonderful Italian and French varieties of vermouth that you've probably never tried. And bring them home and drink them straight up. Put them in a wine glass and drink them. Sweet vermouth is delightful on its own. Half and half sweet vermouth and dry vermouth is very good. And even dry vermouth on the rocks with a little twist of lemon, maybe a little club soda, is a surprisingly good drink. And it will lead you down the path of other aromatized and fortified wines. And this is a category well worth exploring. Excellent vermouth-related homework. I learned so much about vermouth this week. I know like a thousand percent more about vermouth than I did before. I know ten thousand percent more. (laughs) But seriously, that's why we love making Nerdette. It's true. Here's more homework from Eric West of Cider Guide Podcast. Cheese and cider makes a fantastic pairing. So I would say just go to your cheesemonger, get half a dozen different cheeses, go to, you know, your local bottle shop and get half a dozen ciders and just mix and match and and see what works for you. I I, I think cheese and cider is a fantastic pairing. You keeping up, Trisha? You ready for one more? Oh, boy. Okay, one more. Please do your homework responsibly, designate drivers, all of that. Here's Brian Albrecht of Left Foot Charlie. Pork is very popular right now and very flavorful. There's so many interesting uh, ways to go with that. But a simple pulled pork in a crock pot doesn't need the barbecue sauce even. Just some gentle flavor and a nice medium dry cider is heaven in my book. See if you can find that. But I would challenge the listeners and people out there to find a cider that's made in your relative neighborhood. There is one out there. Try that cider. Seriously, the most delicious homework ever. Mm, We'll have a link to all that and all your homework at nerdappodcast.com. Now it's time to hear from you. Time for nerd confessions. Nerd confessions. This will go in the category of word nerd classics, I think. Hey, this is Rachel from Denver, Colorado. My nerdiest moment was when I was finishing up my master's at a school of theology. I did a project where I diagrammed a sentence from a Judith Butler book. If you know anything about her writing, it's very verbose and complex. So I diagrammed one of her sentences for a final project in my queer theology class. Uh, that's my nerdy moment. Hope you enjoyed. Queer theology classes and diagramming sentences, you know the way to our heart. Gold star to Rachel for calling and leaving her nerd confession you must call as well so you can earn your gold star. 312-600-5638. Tell us about when you were at your nerdiest. Everything from epic fails to humble brags. Welcome. Call us and leave your nerd confessions. 312-600-5638. Or suggest a great lady nerd of history for us to profile. Or just say hi. We love voicemails. Thanks to Amy Stewart, Eric West, Brian Albrecht, and Gino Francesconi for joining us this week. You can find us at nerdatpodcast.com. That's where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Talk with us on Twitter at nerdatpodcast and like us on Facebook. This show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson. Extra special thanks this week to Joe Disso for engineering our live taping at Cider Summit and to Lauren Shulgin for helping us get to know Marian Anderson and WBEZ's podcast intern Colleen Pellisier. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect nerds like you. More information is available at chicagopublicmedia.org. Thank you for listening on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Throw us some stars and write a review on iTunes if you're feeling generous. Like the excellent Everybody's Dad Loves Wilco did on iTunes. 
I'm pretty sure my dad is not even hip enough to love Wilco. Well, now you have to introduce him to it so that we're not making a liar out of this kind person who gave us all those stars. <laughs> this is true. We appreciate the stars, the retweets, and the shares. There's one other way you can help Nerdette. If you're a nerd with a business or who works for one that wants to get your message heard by Nerdette listeners, you can underwrite the show. Email nerdettepodcast at gmail.com to learn more about sponsorship opportunities. Our theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.